With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This Sunday, on the 11th of November 2018, it marks 100 years since Armistice Day, the end of World War I. The effects on all in the United Kingdom were life-changing for every person, town, city, industry, organisation you can imagine. But what were the effects for the one thing you and I hold in common? Fulham Football Club. Well, in this special episode of the Fulhamish podcast, I'm going to give you a brief history of how Fulham FC changed between 1914 and 1918, 100 years ago. Throughout this episode, you'll hear the voice of Morgan Phillips, a Fulham fan for over 70 years, who has spent much time researching the history of his club. His help was invaluable and he was absolutely brilliant, as you'll hear later on in this episode. Also, though, much of the research has been compiled with the help of Ian McMullen. Ian runs the website footballandthefirstworldwar.org, a site which is aiming to be a record of every UK footballer who fought or died during the Great War. You won't hear Ian's voice, as he said he doesn't like the sound of it. I can tell you he would have been great. But he was vital in this coming together. I'll give you some more details on Ian's website in just a little bit. But before we tell this tale of Fulham in the First World War, it's important to set the scene of where our club was in the early 1900s. And as Morgan explains here, it was a situation that many of you can probably relate to. You won't be surprised to hear that it was fairly shaky, uh, as it was through most of the 20th century. They're a club who just about managed for a lot of the time. Um, Funnily enough, in the 1900s, they were quite well off. There were local businessmen very keen to invest And that's the period in 1904, 1905, 1906, when they built the ground and got into the Football League. But unfortunately, by 1914, most of those businessmen had moved on to other projects. And there was just one businessman behind them, quite a mean character called Dean. And the situation was the one we're familiar with. Get a good player and then they'd have to sell him and that kind of thing. Attendances were roughly 10,000 for a really good game of Bonanza, they'd get, say, the Arsenal, they might get 30,000. So, you know, there were good days and then some not so good, but they were just about managing. So Fulham were just about holding their own as a football league team, but struggling to keep up with the big fish. It's a tale that sounds familiar to us Fulham fans these days. And whilst the players, the fans, the investors may have thought those issues were troubling at the time, what was to come couldn't really be envisaged. In 1914, following the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo, war spread fast across Europe. Quickly, young British men were being called upon to join the armed forces in their droves. Clearly, there was going to be an immediate impact on the game we know and love. However, on the 1st of September 1914, the Football League season commenced as normal. They stated that they believed it would be a useful tool for recruitment and fundraising. And with many of the players married, and at the time married men weren't being called for conscription as they had a duty to provide for their families, there seemed a legitimate case for the game continuing. Let's go back to Morgan. I I asked him whether fan interest was still just as high once the war had started. 
You'd think that, wouldn't you? But that isn't actually what happened. No, people's attention did go away from football. The uh, attendance has dropped, you see, because that first season, 14 to 15, that was still the Football League, the second tier, but the games which would have got a good gate the previous year now got a very low one, frequently less than 10,000. Various reasons for it. Some of the football fans had already joined up in the army. Some had been moved away to get a job somewhere else because the war effort was a big lot of factory turning out um, shells and so on, and um, no doubt a lot of overtime there, compulsory overtime. And transport was difficult. Civilian leisure time transport always goes to the bottom of the priorities in a wartime situation. But also, uh, there was a lot of public feeling about the Football League carrying on as if nothing had happened, because most other sports, they'd suspended their big activities. But the Football League, no, just they went on ahead. But the pressure on the Football League soon grew to enormous levels. Football matches were routinely targeted for propaganda rallies across the country, and Morgan explains here one particular incident that happened at Craven Cottage. It's quite a funny thing in the early weeks of the war. A man called Frederick Charrington went to the first home match at Fulham because he was going to make a speech to the crowd and tell them, hey, they shouldn't have been there, they shouldn't have been sort of watching football, they should be joining up, and that the players too shouldn't be there, they should be joining up. Now, Fulham told him in advance that that would not be popular, he would not be allowed to do it. But he went along, stood up at half-time, and was about to speak, and he was dragged out, not by the stewards, but by the club chairman and the club manager, and he was just dumped in Steenage Road and uh, got very indignant, but nothing else happened. But the football authorities realised that the public opinion was turning against them. So in December 1914, there was a big meeting at Fulham Town Hall where they launched the Footballers' Battalion, I say a battalion specially for footballers, and then later on they opened it to fans. Um, and it wasn't just a public relations thing. This was a real battalion of the army, and they soon went into action and fought right through the fort war and suffered some heavy losses. But um, still there was feeling against football, and in September 1915, when the league did say, yes, all right, we won't have our competition, we'll just have a regional thing with the teams from London and the southeast playing together. Still, there was strong feeling against it, and I noticed in the um, Fulham Times, one of the local papers, they put a list of players that were expected to play for Fulham in the 1915-16 season, and somebody on the library copy has written in ink, all should enlist. So when researching the area of former Fulham players who were casualties during the First World War, it's difficult to be precise. It's not as easy as you might imagine. Uh, Ian from Football in the First World War.org explained to me that records weren't immaculate in the first place, and the research process was made much more difficult by the fact a lot of paperwork was lost during the Blitz in the Second World War. As a result, it's impossible to be certain of all the Fulham players that did pass during the Great War, and many have fallen through the cracks of research. However, we are aware of these eight players who graced the Craven Cottage turf, but sadly lost their lives during the Great War. Probably the best-known names of those who died was Bob Seward, because he was 
a Fulham defender quite a long time, for quite a long stretch before the war. William Borland, who'd just joined, um, William Morn. Um, Harry Rowbottom, now he was um, a Fulham player much earlier on, and that was in the sort of 1903 onwards. Pat Flanagan, Fred Wheatcroft, another one in the first years of the century. Um, he was also a Fulham school teacher, so he would have people would have known him very well. Fred Waterson, not very much in the first team, and somebody called Ted Thompson, who I think was quite new to the club when the war started. I think those were the ones that are most normally stated to be the, the Fulham casualties, although they say there were others who played for Fulham at various times. One story that Ian mentioned to me was that of Pat Flanagan, who you just heard from Morgan there. A well-known player in these times who also played for Arsenal and Norwich City. Pat was stationed in Tanzania in East Africa, which is different to most troops who were stationed on the front line in France. And he actually died of dysentery rather than in battle. Uh, Moving on, though, Fulham's casualties list was not as long as some other clubs in the Football League. That's absolutely true, and I don't know why that is. Just luck, I guess, because I know... um... I think they said there were 16 from Tottenham. Well, of course, there's about half that from Fulham, something like eight. So that is very surprising because we know, as you say, that they did go out but and they did take part in various battles. But, no, luckily the, the casualties were very few. Oddly enough, there were three in the um, early years, um, in 1915, um, September, October, there were three players who died. None of them big names, of course, but uh, it was a tragedy for them and for their families. The programme said that there were tears in the eyes of the players when the news reached them. So it must have been very sobering. But uh, no, after those three, luckily, there weren't too many more. So Sunday is approaching fast, 100 years to the day since the First World War ended in 1918. And Fulham's players will be on the pitch that day, up at Anfield's and facing a very difficult task against Liverpool. And as we watch those 11 players on the pitch, I think it's important to remember those eight former Fulham players who gave their lives 100 years ago. Bob Suett, William Borland, William Morn, Harry Rowbottom, Pat Flanagan, Fred Wheatcroft, Fred Waterson and Ted Thompson. It's been super humbling for me to learn the stories of these men who gave their lives but we had something in common we all had a place for Fulham FC in our hearts I'm a 26 year old man now and 100 years ago it's almost certain that I would be a prime candidate to be conscripted for the war effort and it's beyond the realms of imagination the fact that these men had to do that and had to put their lives on the line for king and country And to learn of their stories, to learn of their fates is something quite remarkable and something I'm really glad that I've embarked on as a process making this podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed making it. Um, I'd like to give my thanks to Morgan Phillips and Ian McMullen for their time in helping me compile this special episode of Fulhamish. Looking back at those Fulham players who fought and passed away during the Great War. Ian's website, footballinthefirstworldwar.org, is is an incredible resource and one that I wasn't aware of before undertaking this project. 
It's ran completely voluntarily and therefore it relies on donations to keep it running. Whilst there are many charities vying for your attention these days, I think it's vital we have resources like this, preserving our history so it's there as a record for future generations. Therefore, we decided that we would like to help them. We've teamed up with the incredibly talented artist Pain Prophet, who's created this lowbrow style painting of a First World War soldier standing outside of Craven Cottage. It's absolutely beautiful and we really appreciate Payne getting involved with this project. Currently, we're selling A3 prints of this poster on our website, fullamish.co.uk forward slash shop. All the proceeds of the print will go towards Ian's incredible website, preserving the memory of these footballers who served their country. There's only a limited amount available, so if you enjoyed this podcast and you were moved by it, please do purchase a print and support this incredible resource so that it's there for years and years to come. Once again, you can buy your print from fullamish.co.uk forward slash shop. Thank you for listening, unless we forget. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST recommends.